1: Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah.
0: Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by Sup China. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. This week's podcast is brought to you by the letter F. F is for fake, for fraud, and for the future. We have the bizarre story of China's fake gold. We have the major seafood company that has been found guilty of fraud, and we step into the future with self-driving taxis. With all the top news, which you can be sure is 100% honest and reliable, here's what has been happening in China this week. All that glitters is not gold. Literally, more than a dozen Chinese financial institutions have loaned 20 billion yuan, approximately $2.8 billion, over the past five years to Wuhan King Gold Jewelry Incorporated, the largest privately owned gold processor in central China's Hubei province. The company used pure gold as collateral and an insurance policy to cover any losses. It has now transpired that at least some 83 tons of gold bars used as loan collateral are nothing but gilded copper. The news has sent shockwaves amongst the NASDAQ-listed company's creditors, with both Gold and its insurers, PICC p facing multiple lawsuits. The profits of Chinese industrial enterprises rebounded in May for the first time in seven months in a sighing, that the economy is on the road to recovery following the multiple lockdowns due to COVID-19. Industrial profits rose 6% to 582.34 billion yen approximately $82 billion, for the month of May, compared to the same period a year earlier, contrasting with a 4.3% drop in April. Despite the good news, overall profits contracted 19.3% in the first five months of the year, 1.84 trillion yuan, and were down 39.3% at state-owned enterprises and 11% at private companies, according to the National Bureau of Statistics. There is definitely something fishy going on in one of China's largest seafood companies. China's security watchdog has fined Zoniko Group 600,000 yuan, about $84,800, after determining, through satellite data analysis, that the fishery enterprise had been cooking its books. Shenzhen-listed Zonico, which specializes in breeding, processing, and distributing seafood products, faked its 2016 and 2017 annual reports by misrepresenting its harvest data, the China Securities Regulatory Commission, CSRC, said in a statement. The CSRC also penalized 15 managers with fines ranging from 30,000 yuan to 300,000 yuan, according to the statement. It also banned four managers from the securities industry or from serving as a listed company's executive or director for periods ranging from five years to life. The U.S. Department of Justice has been granted arrest warrants for the former president of a China state-owned chipmaker and two other engineers charged with stealing secrets from Idaho-based Micron Technology, Inc., according to Bloomberg The effort to apprehend the three men is notable because they were charged in 2018 in the first case filed under the Trump administration's China Initiative targeting trade secret theft, hacking, and economic espionage. A federal magistrate judge in San Francisco issued the warrants Wednesday after the three men failed to show up for their arraignments. Apple has announced it will take down thousands of games without government licenses from its Chinese app store. Apple will reportedly start kicking unlicensed mobile games off its Chinese app store next month, a move that will end the practice of allowing developers to sell games on the platform while they were waiting for government approval. The iPhone maker has informed China's developers that they must comply with a Chinese government policy from July that requires paid games or games offering in-app purchases to obtain government licenses before publication. The move comes as the Chinese government cracks down on games which it considers to be spreading offensive content and amid efforts to fight gaming addiction. In an exclusive, Caixin has learned that China is moving to provide securities licenses to commercial banks in a renewed effort to expand banks' business reach and empower domestic players to compete with global rivals. The move would mark a significant change in China's Securities Regulation Commission, or CSRC, policy, which currently locks almost all domestic commercial banks out of offering securities services on the Chinese mainland. The move is being viewed by some analysts as a response to China's decision to allow global investment banking giants UBS Group AG, Goldman Sachs Group Inc., Morgan Stanley, and Credit Suisse AG to raise their stakes in their Chinese mainland security joint ventures to 51%. And finally, we are one step closer to stepping into that future we all thought we'd have by now, the one with the you know flying cars and the jetpacks. Chinese ride-hailing giant Didi Chuxing is piloting its robo-taxi service in Shanghai, taking a tentative step toward its grandiose goal of operating more than one million autonomous vehicles by 2030. Going online Saturday, the service allows commuters to hail autonomous rides for free through Didi's app and is now available in designated areas that include the financial hub's business districts, Didi said in a statement. A human backup driver will be present in the car and can take over the controls in the event of an emergency, according to the statement. Still no word on the jetpacks. Let's turn now to Tyson Global's managing editor, Doug Young, for a deeper dive into a story this week. Doug, what is the story of the week that has caught your eye?
1: Hi, Kaiser. Uh, this week I wanted to focus in on a. Uh, it's a little bit Self promotional, but it's it's a great story that Shin uh, ran this week uh, regarding ARM, which is the big chip maker, or they they make chip technology. A lot of people, a lot of our listeners probably haven't heard of this company, but they have the technology. They basically have developed the technology that runs most of the world's uh, smartphone chips. So, anyhow, the story is is quite entertaining, and and this story that we've got. Uh, has just all kinds of insider details that are fun. So I'd recommend going on online and, and checking it out if you have a chance. But the story sort of broke into the headlines a mm, couple weeks ago, early, early June. And the story was basically that Arm put out some press releases or put out a press release saying they were tossing out their CEO of their China joint venture. Um, and then you know, everyone's like, fine, okay, you know, the CEO's getting pushed out of a, a joint venture, you know, kinds of things happen. But then, maybe a couple hours later, the joint venture put out a statement saying, no, the CEO's not being pushed out. Uh, and everything is operating normally. And, and the CEO, a guy named Alan Wu is, is still running the show. So this is like very, very strange. And like I said, uh, everybody's trying to figure out what's going on. How can you know a, a company say they're forcing out their CEO, only to have the CEO say, "No, I'm not leaving," uh, and and so that's the basic story. Uh, I believe this conflict is actually still being resolved, but you know the bottom line is the board and arm, which is the controlling shareholders, said we don't want this guy. Uh, and the guy is saying, well, I refuse to leave. Well, I don't think the CEO really can say that, but that's what's happening here. Um, then the details that we have behind the story, it's its a bit more mundane than you probably would think. Uh, basically, the guy, Alan Wu, uh, was, I guess, getting a little too independent for uh, the board members of, of the parent company, Arm, uh, doing things that maybe he shouldn 't have done, and I think the the final straw that we got details about is he actually started up his own fund uh to invest in Chinese tech companies and and one of one or two of the companies they invested in was sort of taking advantage of the arm connection, but he didn't tell arm about it he didn 't tell his parent company about it, or at least the parent company saying they weren't told about it. And when they asked him about it, he lied and said he didn't know anything. And, of course, he's denied all of the allegations. So, anyhow, there there was a bit of a dust-up going on between the CEO maybe being a little bit too independent, doing some things on the side that he maybe shouldn't have been doing, at least according to Arm.
0: And that's sort of where things stand right now. So the CEO and the board of the JV are Arm wrestling, as it were. (laughs) Uh, Does this sort of thing happen often at all?
1: No, to be honest, this seems like a very uh, made in, in China sort of tale. Um, you know, this is a joint venture. So it's not it's not completely owned by ARM. And in, in fact, it's only 49% owned by ARM. So it's 51% owned by somebody else. In this case, it's a Chinese consortium. But in this case, the Chinese consortium has actually agreed with ARM and said, let's get rid of this guy. So essentially, 100% of the, the companies, shareholders are saying, let's get rid of this guy. Um, and, you know, the guy is just refusing to leave. I, I do think that in the end, you know, he's going to have to go. I I can't see him being allowed to stay. But it, it, it is an interesting story because this whole venture uh, has a very, very Chinese sort of background. It It was set up as part of like a bigger wave of of, uh, high-tech joint ventures. Uh, Hewlett-Packard did one, Microsoft did one. A lot of the big tech companies did them probably like four or five years ago. And the reason they all set up these joint ventures that are all controlled by the Chinese partner is that was a condition by Beijing for them to do business with the government or with big SOEs, uh, state-owned enterprises. Um, And this was all part of like the national security debate. So no... Now we've essentially got this you know, joint venture getting a little too big for its boots, uh, arguing with the parent company. It's all sort of burst out into the open. And that's you – know, again, that's where we stand right now.
0: You've said this is a made-in-China story, Doug. Are we seeing China-specific elements in this dust-up between the CEO and the board, uh, things that we might not see in other countries? Yeah, I think we are. I mean,
1: I think the the national security element, you know, the fact that this whole joint venture came about because of China's national security concerns is, is a very China thing. Although we're seeing things happen in the West right now that uh, look a lot like China, you know, sort of the paranoia over national security, taking sort of unusual steps. Uh, we've seen the U.S. doing this with Huawei left and right lately.
0: Yeah, I was going to say.
1: But again, the it, it, did really start in China all the suspicion towards foreign tech companies. Um, the other thing that's that's quite uh, humorous in this particular story is the chop. Uh, everybody, anybody who lives in China knows that every company has an official. They call them seals, but it's like a chop. It's like a stamp that you put on top of all official documents, and that's like the equivalent of a signature. Uh, and in this case, the guy uh, Alan Wu. Seems to have uh, gotten the joint venture's chop, and <laughs> I, I'm not sure what exactly he's done. But uh, apparently, you can't can't do anything without the company chop, especially in terms of like changing, you know, making big changes like ownership or I guess top executives or whatever. So he's essentially, you know, in a way holding holding the company hostage by holding the joint venture chop, but. I'm sure there must be some legal ways of getting the chop back or maybe having it nullified. But anyhow, it's, it's a very only-in-China angle. And the whole story, like I say, is very, very, in my view, only in China because you really just don't see this kind of thing happen in the West, at least not in my
0: experience. Okay. Well, thanks, Doug, for introducing us to this baffling situation. Uh, we look forward to having you back on the show next week.
1: Okay. Thanks very much, Kaiser.
0: And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Sinica Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and Nandini Venkata with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin and Marcus Ryder of Caixin Global. Thanks to Wu Fei and Spring and Autumn for the music. Be sure to check out the other shows in the Sinica Network on SubChina and for daily news and views be sure to subscribe to SubChina Access for the daily newsletter. Find us at SupChina.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week. Take care.